Hello, product innovators. Today, we learn from an inventor of one of the world's most widely used products on how to build a great team to ensure the success of your hardware product development process. You're listening to the Product Startup Podcast, a show to learn from top leaders in product development, prototyping, manufacturing, product selling, and everything in between. Hosted by Kevin Macko, the leading expert on product development for physical product startups. Sponsored by PTC's two best-in-class 3D CAD product development software solutions, Onshape and Creo. And produced by Macko Design and Invent, the original firm providing world-class consumer product development services tailored specifically to startups, small manufacturers, and inventors. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I'm very excited to introduce Paul McEnroe to the show. Paul is the creator, developer, and leader behind UPC Barcodes. The work he did is still the standard over 50 years later on almost all products worldwide. Since then, he's been the head of engineering and eventually president for hardware companies and sits on a number of boards and educational institutions. Today, Paul is going to share some valuable knowledge for inventors, startups, and small manufacturers on the type of team you need to build for your hardware product, how to manage that team, and how to ensure smooth communication so that your team can make sure your new hardware product is a big success. Now, on to the episode. Hi, Paul. Welcome to the show. Thank you. We're very excited to have you on the show today to talk about teamwork, the importance in team. You're one of the pioneers of a great technology that's still widely used by the entire world today. Every single person out there has used a UPC code, and you are the pioneer of that UPC code back in your IBM days many years ago, which has been the standard basically since 1973. So before we get into the importance of teamwork for a hardware startup, I know you've been involved in lots of things as chief engineer, as well as working up to president of hardware companies companies and sitting on a variety of boards and universities and you name it, but are now retired as a cowboy on the ranch. So give us the backstory. How did you get to the success story that you are today? I was working at IBM and I had been there for nine years and I worked in a lot of different technologies, scanners and other things related to the connection of the human being to the computer. It was mostly that kind of thing, printers, displays, scanners, all of that kind of thing. And all hardware, by the way. And so then one day, nine years later, an executive of IBM guy who later became the president of IBM came into my office and said, Paul, we want you to act like a startup guy and start us up in a new business area, ancillary to computers, not specifically computers. And the reason for that was the CEO of IBM at the time was worried there wasn't enough growth in computers itself. And he wanted to get something adjacent to computers to broaden the scope. He tried to buy companies at Silicon Valley and that failed because they found everybody would quit the next day because they didn't want the white shirts and the blue suits and all that kind of stuff, the culture of IBM. <laughs> so I got to start that. I proposed going into point of sale because I could see they needed item identification. There was one competitor that owned 95% of the market. And when you see somebody that owns a lot, they've got an obsolete product. And by the way, their product was almost unchanged in a hundred years. It was the NCR National Cash Register. And they had these big old iron cash registers. I thought, gee, we can do a lot better. We can use modern technology to build a PC-like thing. This was a decade before the PC, but we could do something like that. And we can build a scanner because that's what I'd been doing for 10 years before almost. So they gave me the go-ahead. I proposed an amount of money. Actually, it was just 300000 the first year, a million dollars the second year, $3 million the third year. 
they gave me the money and said, okay, you get the start. We'll paint a fence around you so you can do like a startup inside IBM. So I went about finding a team of people to help me with that. They wanted me to go to North Carolina to do it from California. I did that. I found a team of people. Interestingly enough, the people were considered kind of hard to manage because they were very senior people. They made good salaries. They weren't the managerial type. They were more the individual contributor type person, but there were several of them and they were bright. And I picked uh, a group of them, six to be total. Two of them were communications engineers. A third person was very good at printing and had also done a lot of bit of work in coding for telephone signals going across signal lines. So he knew about error correction, error detection, and that kind of thing. Then a couple of others have more general experience with manufacturing and engineering management. So that was the team that we put together. It worked out very well. I think the fact that we got the right team and we got started at the right time and technologies that we needed were becoming available, such as the laser, low power laser for the light source, all that brought it together and enabled us to put together not just a barcode, but a system solution of everything from scanners to magnetics to optical sources, many of which used new technologies. That was kind of how we got started and uh, went down the path. And it wasn't something overnight. It took us, that was 1969. Our code was selected by the selection committee from a group of seven finalists, which came from 14 total selections. That happened in 73. So it took us four years to get it selected and then another year to get it to the market. And then another five years before it reached any volume. So it took a decade before it really hit. Wow, that's amazing. And obviously it hit big and now it is the standard for barcodes, which is incredible. So let's dive deeper into the actual team selection and the importance of it. You've written a book and many other things in terms of teamwork and the importance of a team. So I want to break down that process and you can reference a story from IBM or just general information as a whole, but why is it so important to create a great team and how do you put together a great team? And then how do you work with that team? That's what I want to break down on today's podcast. Yeah. Well, developing something in the way of a new hardware device or something like that, you obviously need somebody on the team who either is an expert in technology or knows how to access expertise in that technology, because you got to be aware of what technologies exist that could best produce the product for you. Because if you don't, somebody else will come up with that and they'll have a better product than you do. So I was fortunate that I had the opportunity to pick people who had already been successful to some degree. I was in my early 30s at the time, and they were in their 40s and mid-40s, several of them. They had experience in some of the fields that I did not have experience in, and that was very helpful. And then you've got to get them working together. You've got to get them to realize it isn't about the individual thing that each one of them is going to do, but it's going to be the whole product that several of you are going to be able to pull together. And then you have to be willing to not try to do everything yourself. If some things on the periphery, you have to say, okay, we're going to go contract that out. We're going to go get somebody else to do that. In our case, by the time we finished all those years later, I had development programs going in something like six or eight different laboratories in four or five countries in three continents. So, I mean, it turned out to be a broad input. You have to keep everybody aware of what the end goal is. If you have people who are very quiet, which you often do, because sometimes the real inventive types are very quiet and they don't want to talk. You got to talk for them. You got to sit down and go over with them what their thinking is and how, and then get the whole group involved in that. That's very, very critical. If you have a thing such as we had, you're scanning bars and you got to come up with how the bars are and how you lay 
weigh them down and how you get them to be smaller and all of that. But that's just one part of it. And you have yourself and a couple of other people, myself and two other guys that mostly worked on that. After you read the thing, how do you send it to the back room? How do you look up the price? How do you do automatic reordering? You need computer experts. You need communications experts. And then the recording capability wasn't sufficiently good. So then you need a recording expert. Well, we had most of those, but some we had to go for the recording. I'm familiar with doing that in a project earlier. And I went back to the people that I had known and called them up and will you help us with this? Yes. And so we farmed that out. I was familiar with the technology. That's very important. You have to know what you can do, but I didn't have the time to go do it. And so we got other people to help us with that. So communication, as you can see, you're talking to your own people. You got your own people talking to their peers in your own shop. And then you got to talk to the rest of the world. And of course, not least of all, you got to be able to explain it in simple terms to people that have the money. In this case, it was IBM executives and they're mostly from sales and finance. They don't know anything about engineering. There's a lot of amazing things that you brought up there. And I like that you've packaged into essentially three key things. Individual skills, of course, that's a given. You need to have the technological abilities with your team to execute on the innovation that you're bringing to market. But when you have that, you really need to centralize your team around that common goal. Make sure they aren't just siloed in their individual roles, that they're working well together to achieve the end goal output, which brings it all together in communication, which is the third angle that you've discussed there. If you can really communicate, then an that you have the individual skill sets and that they're focused on the overall goal and you're able to pull that together to create at the end of the day, a great product. I like how you tied that all into one final layer, which is you need to simplify it for the money folks, which is as a hardware startup, quite common and quite often, not just the people with money, but it's other stakeholders as well, including your end customer or prospective buyers or other relevant stakeholders to your product development journey. You're deep in the weeds on design and engineering, but remember at the end of the day, you've got to change people's lives through your product. How are you doing that? And sometimes you get so caught up being in the weeds that you forget about that big picture, which is again, something that you highlighted, got to always bring it back around to the big picture and ensure that everybody's individual skills are leading up to that big picture. So let's talk about communication a bit, because that really is the catalyst between all these different elements of a great team. What are some of the tips and tricks that you have to ensure that communication is the best it can be amongst hardware startup team? Yeah. I have to say that one of the things I think helped me the most, people ask me, well, what was the best important course you took in college and everything? Took a lot of engineering courses, a lot of math courses, a lot of physics courses. They were all necessary. But the captain of the high school and university debate teams, when I went to college and when I went to high school and, you know, they give you a topic and you got to stand up and they don't tell you until five minutes before whether you're going to be on the positive side or the negative side. You got to be able to do either one. You got to stand up on your feet and think and talk. I think that was the biggest help for me. And when I was trying to explain this, how the systems worked and so on and so forth, IBM executives and their better than most, but a lot of venture capitalists are in the same boat. For example, I developed a thing called the token ring. I was trying to explain that and I had some help and other people were trying to explain it. And I was looking at the executive we were explaining it to. And he said, oh, a ring. You mean it rings like a telephone? And no, 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 that's not what we meant. We meant it was a ring around in a circle, like a a ring around a racetrack or something, you know, because it was a communication system based on a loop. It is really important for you to put your own mind in the place of the person you're talking to. Try to think, okay, what's his background or her background? What are they thinking I'm saying? And then 
say it in such a way that they can understand it. That's one of the critical things. And it's even true in the technical world, because sometimes the people that you're talking to in your own shop, they're more detailed in understanding a particular technology than you are. And so they might mean something differently than you're interpreting. Maybe I'm the one that's thinking about ringing a phone instead of a loop when somebody's describing something more complex to me. So you put yourself in the shoes of who you're talking to and what that context is. And when you're conducting meetings of your team, you know, look at the different people and see, are they following this? Do they understand it all? Is this good? Or do we need to lay it out in more detail or less detail? We're boring them to death. Put yourself in the other people's shoes and in the group's shoes when these meetings are going on. That's powerful stuff. And I know you mentioned it earlier as well, but it's something you and I have talked about uh, before the show too, is the importance of really bringing out maybe some of the quieter voices as well. Just because somebody's being quiet doesn't mean that they might not see something that's just as important to someone that's loud. That's leaning into the different personality types. And it's your job as the leader of that ship as the head of command there to ensure that you're pulling out and extracting value from all of the different stakeholders in that meeting or in that room or in that group, whether it be in an actual physical meeting itself, or whether it's just different stakeholders weighing in over the course of a week on the direction or insight or information on a particular project. Yeah. You might have the Einstein in the room and he's reticent to speak up because he may not be terribly articulate in the same sense. You don't want him going back to his office and saying, oh, I I knew how to solve that problem but I didn't get a chance to say it till that there's some other engineer who communicates with and that happens. Absolutely. And same with communication clarity, right? Some people may struggle more than others in articulating exactly what they mean. So again, it's your job as the leader to make sure that you really understand what they are trying to get across. If the communication isn't their strong suit, that doesn't really matter to the project. What matters is their intelligence, their insight, their problem solving, their opportunity identification. It doesn't really matter their communication skill. And you should be able to work with all different types of skill sets when it comes to communication to really extract the information you want the best that you can. Absolutely. Are there any other tips and tricks that you find in managing the team, especially as it grows or as it's starting to develop into a more mature standpoint in the flow of product development? Well, you just have to make yourself totally available. That's another thing. Sometimes leaders, they seem too busy. They're very formal. You got to write me a note. You got to schedule a meeting. You know, if you have a crisis, it's nice if people can just call you up. Hey, hey, Paul, you know, nobody gets it, but there's a problem here. Or can I have five? minutes with you. You just have to make yourself very available to your team, to everybody in the team, so that you're talking whenever you need to talk. If somebody comes up with an issue, don't let it boil for a long time, particularly interpersonal issues. One person and another person don't get along. Got a jungle fighter with another person, especially if one is more senior than the other, then the junior person who may have the best idea doesn't get a chance to bring it out. And he can be hit over the head with a sledgehammer by the more senior guy in the group. So you have to make your yourself available from everybody. Lots of amazing notes there. I took quite a few myself today. Just talk a little bit about the book that you have coming out. Talk a bit about that book. I just found out last night, you can pre-order it, but it'll be September the 19th that it finally will be available on Amazon and 
Barnes and Noble and so on. I started to write a memoir and my family told me the part of the memoir that I wrote that talked about the barcode was really the thing that was so interesting to so many people. I kind of went in and I took a lot of stuff out that was about other things and so on. So it's a book primarily about the barcode, but it tells a lot of personal stories. It tells about the individuals and the people, how it came to be. And there's an awful lot of people who are very famous in history that are uh, written about in the book. And I think one of the things it tells is how to operate inside a corporation and get something new and different started up that's very different than what that company had been doing all along, how to get different organizations to work together. That's one of the things that's in the book. And I'll say there are two things that your audience might be interested in. One is the main part of the book, which is a little over 150 pages, and that's the story I just told you about. But then I put an appendix in, and the appendix is the technology, the technical detailed discussion for the people that want to see the equations and why this code is better than the other codes. And I actually wrote that in 1971. So, I mean, it is the original. It is uh, unmodified. Uh, We just reprinted it as an appendix to the book. It's 40 pages long, but there's a lot of graphs and charts and so on in it. So if you have technical people that want to see, well, why was this code better than the others and what's different about it, readability and reliability and so on and so forth. so, so the book has uh, got that technical appendix in, but for everybody else who is a lay person and just wants to read about what happened, why it happened, what are the stories and talk about the people and how to do it in another company, that's the main body of the book. And that's easily understood and read by everybody. That's great. And I believe it's called The Barcode, How a Team Created One of the World's Most Ubiquitous Technologies. Uh, that's that's right. uh, going to be coming out basically everywhere uh, via Silicon Valley Press. I saw, in any case, I'll put the link to the pre-order in the show notes if anyone wants to check it out. Very cool that you put that appendix in so you could get inside the mind of the genius and see how these technologies actually unraveled. In any case, Paul, much appreciated for all your words of wisdom today on how to build a great team for a hardware product. Thanks again. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. And we'll talk again soon. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast. If you found some value in the show, please do us a huge favor and leave us a quick five-star review. If you have any questions, guest suggestions, or anything else, feel free to reach out to us anytime at our email, podcast at macodesign.com. That's podcast at macodesign.com. This show is hosted by Kevin Macko, North America's leading expert on product development for physical product startups. Huge thanks to our sponsors, PTC, and their two best-in-class 3D CAD product development software solutions, Onshape and Creo. Design and Invent, the original firm providing world-class consumer product development services tailored specifically to startups, small manufacturers, and inventors. Thanks for joining and see you next time.